0: In January, North Dakota United released daunting results of a survey on educator retention. Seventy-four percent of those surveyed believe teacher retention is a major issue for the coming school year, and only four out of ten see themselves retiring as teachers. How did we get to this point, and what can be done about it? Every Tuesday in March, in partnership with North Dakota United, we'll hear from teachers who have left the profession, those who remain in the classroom, and those who shape a public policy affecting what happens in schools across North Dakota. We start today with a former Bismarck teacher, Carrie Nels, who spent 15 years in education. Nels says she was born to be a teacher. However, as she tells North Dakota United's Tom Gerhardt, last summer she made the emotional decision to leave the profession she loves.
1: I wanted to ask you your thoughts on education. You spent 15 years, as we mentioned, in education and as of uh, last May, decided to move on to another career. So I would guess maybe the results of our survey don't surprise you.
2: Right. I wasn't surprised by the survey results, but I was um, saddened and actually devastated by them. It's sad when a profession that's so important to our kids and our country feels the way that they do. So to see it on paper with true data was disappointing. But I also do feel that it did grab the attention of a lot of people. And that gives me some hope. That maybe we can move forward to some genuine problem solving and get things turned around.
1: I wanted to ask you, and to make the point that you spent 15 years, you dedicated 15 years to education. Clearly, something you were passionate about and it meant a lot to you, as did the kids that you taught. I just wanted you to talk about what being an educator meant to you. How did it become your story? your calling.
2: Well, it does sound odd, but I really do think I was born to be a teacher. I remember saying I wanted to be a teacher and playing school when I was only three years old. i had never been to school. I don't know how I even knew what a teacher did, but I've always joked that maybe I was already at retirement age because I'd played school with my dolls and neighbor kids for so many years that I maybe did put my time in. So that's kind of how it started. I was just always going to be a teacher. And then um, I went through the schooling, got my degree, started teaching and immediately had the opportunity to get my master's degree with the intention that maybe someday I would become an administrator of which I did spend some time doing that as well. But being an educator really meant to me that I was going to do everything within my power to help the kids I was serving. It meant giving 100 percent when I was at school And maximizing my time to meet kids' needs emotionally, socially, academically, having high expectations for all of my students, but even higher expectations for myself. And I reflect on that a lot of the expectations that I placed on myself, maybe helped attribute to my burnout. But early in my career as a classroom teacher, I remember a conversation of someone telling me, Carrie, you can't be so passionate because you'll burn out
1: obviously emotional for you to think about that. That's one thing I want people to understand and why I ask the question about your education, your calling, your passion, how much time you spent dedicating yourself to students and education. And yet, despite all that, you made the decision to leave. I think that speaks very loudly what you're not saying right now. Carrie, looking back at your career and, and all the time and dedication and passion and blood, sweat, and tears you put into education, as we mentioned at a, at a point, you started thinking about the possibility of maybe doing something else. Can you tell me about that journey? Maybe when you started thinking about leaving education and and then how difficult that was too to, to come to terms with.
2: Right. I can actually almost pinpoint it. It was six years ago, about 10 years into my career. And that's when I started seeing patterns happening day after day that I wasn't sure would ever change. There were more excuses being made for things that were happening. More politics was starting to filter in. And I just... Like I said, the patterns started showing up and I wasn't sure that we could fix that. And I did, you know, there were those moments of joy that was like, okay, yeah, this is great. I would never be able to do anything else. And so for those six years, instead of sitting back and maybe complaining to friends, I held myself accountable to try to fix those things or bring about solutions to concerns. But over those six years doing that, I don't feel like I got anywhere, honestly. And so, yeah, I would say over the last six years is where I really just saw education going down a path that was very concerning to me. So many people and great organizations, North Dakota United being one of them, Wanting to be problem solvers from the start, offering solutions and having very tough conversations. I just, uh, after five or six years, I couldn't do it anymore.
1: Maybe a little insight into the mind and the heart of an educator. You've given us some of that insight, but what were you sacrificing? I, I think about your family, husband, children. I mean, was it a balance between. Putting that up against how much you love and care about your kids. I mean, two families, really. I'm sure that made it extremely difficult to decide how to move forward. But in all of that, you're losing some of yourself or not putting yourself first enough on top of all the other things that were happening. Is that... Fair to say?
2: Right, yeah. As a working mom, I think a lot of working parents put themselves last, and that definitely did take a toll on me. But as far as uh, work and life balance, that's actually one thing that... (laughs) I really held myself accountable for that I think I did well. I was able to, for the most part, leave school at school and home at home. Part of leaving school at school, being able to do that was knowing that when I was at school, I was giving 100% to school by leaving home at home. I didn't drag my outside work issues or things I needed to do into my school work day. I took care of that off the clock. And so then I felt like I owed it to my family then to do the same for them. And that was helpful. And I encourage everybody to do that. It's tough. (laughs) You have to draw boundaries. Sometimes you feel like you look like a bad person doing that, but it did definitely help me. And that works for, you know, like emails, grading papers, but not necessarily the emotional toll and energy. Definitely my kids and husband were really getting only what was left of me.
1: You've talked about why you decided to leave. And I know it's important to you without pointing fingers specifically at any one in particular. Can you dig into a little bit more of some of the things that just weighed so heavily upon you?
2: First, for the record, I didn't leave because of the kids. I didn't leave because of the parents. And I didn't leave because of COVID. (laughs) Those three things are what comes up in conversations a lot. People will say, oh, I can't imagine dealing with kids these days. No, that was actually the best part. The parents i worked with over the last 15 years have been amazing. I can count on one hand, maybe even three fingers, the amount of times where I dealt with parents who... I thought we were maybe a little out of line, but it wasn't because of parents. All parents are doing the best that they know how. And if you have a good relationship with them, you know it's it wasn't because of the parents. And the timing was bad because a lot of people think, you know, it was COVID that pushed me over the edge. It did magnify some concerns in education. It did magnify excuses being made, but it was not kids or parents or COVID that caused me to leave. I left because I knew that I had done everything that I knew how to. I left because I knew I had done everything I knew how to, to help create change needed to turn around the profession. And I was getting nowhere.
1: We'll give you a moment, but I'd like to transition to that. You mentioned yourself trying to find some solutions and and climb that hill. And I know i would mentioned to you, if you had a magic wand... What's one of the first things or or a few things that you would do to help support educators and hopefully eventually, you know, allow educators the freedom to want to remain in classrooms?
2: I couldn't just do one thing with my magic wand. There'd be two. First, I would give educators a true, listened to and valued voice. And second, I'd protect their time. There is So little room for educators, classroom teachers specifically, to give feedback into what is happening right now. We're the ones working directly with the kids. And when we were asked for feedback, it almost felt like the people asking the questions were just checking the box of, yep, we got feedback. There were, I won't go into specifics, but some examples where I was excited and empowered because I'd been asked to be maybe part of an interview or part of a committee. And then I got there and I realized, okay, well, I'm here. I was invited, but my feedback or voice didn't mean anything or wasn't valued. Competent educators can see through that. We know if our feedback It's being asked for genuinely or if we're just there to check the box. And I know I'm not the only one. I'm not the only teacher who feels that way. And about protecting time. Time, no matter what career you're in, even if you're retired, so much time is taken away from a teacher that could be spent on what's important. There's planning time that teachers are supposed to get, that they don't get. That is an issue for at least six years. Every year I spoke up for. Out of the last six years of my career, one of those years, we got that time. The other five years, we didn't, and it was in our contract. Teachers should not have to advocate for the time they're supposed to have to do their job. I think in America, pretty much everyone knows that teachers can't do their job in 40 hours a week. I think pretty much every American understands that is impossible, yet teachers are contracted for 40 hours a week, they're paid for 40 hours a week, and they're expected to get all of their work done And almost every... Week, something is added to that workload and it's impossible. So, I guess the long answer to that question I would give teachers a true listen to and valued voice and I'd protect their time. Along with protecting time, I feel that educators need a clear cut work day. They need to know I'm on the clock now, I'm off the clock, so they can have that boundary for themselves to stay healthy and to get their work done. And if work can't get done during that time, something needs to change. There either needs to be less work expected of people, more people hired to do the work. But one of the biggest issues in education right now, I feel, is teachers being expected to work for free to meet the expectations and their strengths of careness and kindness and dedication and determination, keep them doing that. But to me, they're getting taken advantage of for that because they keep doing it because they care, because they're determined. But that's what's causing burnout. I often reflect on what other careers in our country expect that of their people. Yes, there are salaried positions, but that salary is a heck of a lot higher for those people than it is for a teacher.
1: Some people might think, Carrie, that what you just described would mean you're doing less for the students. But I think maybe what's important to understand is our educators aren't sacrificing for their students that burden that is going back upon you and others. Right. You're not doing less for your kids.
2: One thing that was hard for me because of the high expectations I put on myself, and I'm a very loyal to a fault person. If a supervisor asked me or told me I needed to do something, I do it. Even if I don't agree, I would prioritize and do my important work first, but I always felt like I had to do everything and it was not physically possible to do that. So there was always that guilt of not getting to everything, but it wasn't even possible to do that. But teachers prioritize. They put what's really important, the kids first, and they always get that done. Then it's the stuff that maybe doesn't make as much sense to them that gets done at home after you put your kids to bed.
1: Ultimately, I mean, this is all about our students, our children. Are we keeping that in focus or or how do we continue to keep that in focus, because I think if if we don't, if we're not all in this together, working toward the same goal, this crisis will only worsen.
2: Right, I agree. It is all about the kids, and I chuckle when I hear that because in education, you hear the line of. We're going to do what's best for kids. And that's kind of like the because I said so that parents use. You just kind of say it and you don't really explain it. But it has to be what's best for kids all of the time, not only when it's convenient and I tried to keep that in focus too, or, you know, asking the question, how is, like, how is this best for kids? Um, and asking maybe for that explanation, but we keep that focus about our kids in mind by doing this. And this is what I held myself accountable to. You get up every day as a teacher, as a classroom aide, as an administrator, as a school board member, as a policymaker, and you ask yourself what you expect and want for your very own children and grandchildren and how you'd want their teacher and their staff members in their school to be treated. And then you go out and you do everything you can that's possible that day to do that for the kids you're teaching or for the staff members you're leading or for the educators your policy is affecting. And then on your drive home, You reflect on what you did well that day and what you're going to do better tomorrow. And then you leave it at the door and you go be the best that you can be for your family. And then you hop in the car and do it all over again the next day. But just focusing on what you would want for the teacher teaching your kid or grandkid and then making that happen if that's in your power.
1: I think that's an incredibly important lens that we should all look through. Speaking of kids, one last question. And I I know this could be tough for you, but just again, to just so people know, to give, as you mentioned, an educator a voice and then to listen to that voice. So in your words, I just wanted you to talk about, if you could, your relationship with your kids and, and what kept you coming back day after day for 10 years in the classroom and 15 years in education.
2: The relationships that I had with the kids who I taught and even kids just in our building who I didn't get the chance to teach meant the world to me. And it was definitely the joy that kept bringing me back um, for as long as it did. Kids are great. They're honest. They're going to hold you accountable. They celebrate hard. It was just the best part and the hardest part of leaving. I think one of the things that I was best at was advocating for all kids, not just kids who were struggling or behind, but the high flyers, the kids who needed more. I wasn't scared to have difficult conversations to get the kids the help that they deserved. One of the things that kept me going back day after day and year after year was the fact that I wasn't sure. All kids would have someone speaking up for them, holding people accountable to get them the services that they needed to be successful, what they needed to catch up, what they needed to stay ahead, what they needed behaviorally, socially, emotionally. And that was the hardest part of walking away. But I also knew that the kids at school needed a teacher who could show up every day, excited, full of energy, and full of joy. When I announced that I was resigning, I was immediately flooded with public and private messages of congratulations. Although I was celebrating, too, and I greatly appreciated the notes, I found it sad and odd that so many people, educators and non-educators, understand what it's like to be a teacher and that they've found it appropriate to celebrate and congratulate me on surrendering and walking away from my profession that I had dedicated so much time and money to. And don't get me wrong, I appreciated all of the messages and like I said, I was celebrating too, Um, but I just, it was a gut punch. Like, what are we doing? Why in America can we understand that we are celebrating a teacher quitting right now before retirement because we know how rough it is, but are we doing anything to fix it? And so I was reflecting on that. And then at the same time, I was receiving messages, and I still do, almost one a week, from teachers who are in the same place that I was. They're barely hanging on. They don't know how much longer they can survive. And I pray every day, hoping that true problem-solving without excuses starts happening soon, because the people sending me these messages are the best teachers in our country. They're the best teachers in Bismarck. They're the best teachers in South Dakota. I've gotten messages from people I don't even know. And I guarantee you that if if you saw the list of names from people who are feeling this way, you would be absolutely sick to your stomach. And I I think one way um, that we can fix this, and I, I do honestly feel like we are starting to gain some momentum, but it's time for educators to do, some, uh, do something that I tried to do many times, and that's to choose courage over comfort. People will treat you the way that you allow them to, and a lack of boundaries invites a lack of respect. Nothing is going to change until school employees start speaking up and standing up for themselves. It's not easy, but I do think more people have started to do that. And we need to stop asking why educators are being treated the way they are and start asking why we are allowing it. One advantage to walking away from my profession is I'm no longer a teacher mom, I'm just a mom. So I can advocate even harder for kids. And I don't have to worry about breaking my loyalty to my employer. So that's one avenue that has been inspiring for me. And I can encourage other parents to do the same um, because teachers walk that line of being worried about what's going to happen if they speak up. But parents can do that. I can tell you parents are listened to a lot more closely than teachers are. So advocate for your kids. Advocate hard for your teachers and know that some of the very best are
0: barely hanging on. That was a former Bismarck teacher Carrie Nels about her emotional decision to leave the profession she loves. Visiting with North Dakota United's Tom Gerhart. Next week, we'll hear from a former Fargo teacher on why he chose to leave the classroom. We'll also hear from the 2021 North Dakota Teacher of the Year on the challenges that educators face and what she thinks could be done to help support teachers moving forward. This series comes to us from North Dakota United. Tom Gerhart is the Public Affairs Director for North Dakota United.